I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. Zeus King is back with us this week to review the very important May 26th, 1984 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Welcome back, Zeus. Good to be here, Stephen. Thank you very much for having me. No, thank you. Um, so, we're going to go straight into this. This is a very, very important episode of Mid-South Wrestling. So Boyd Pierce at the desk with the returning Bill Watts. Um, we haven't seen Bill Watts in the commentary role for a number of weeks now, um, back before they started promoting his last Stampede return um, and his tag team matches with Stagger Lee versus the Midnight Express. So Pierce says that he wants to tell us about a match that's going to keep us watching the whole hour, the Battle of the Expresses with a $50,000 purse on the line, what shows the check and explains the rules? It's no DQ and no time limit. They did say, though, it was TV time remaining. Um, and the check is made out to the Rock and Roll Express. If the Midnight Express don't beat them, the money is theirs. Watts adds that the entries for the Superdome, that the Super Day at the Superdome are still rolling in and we have this video again. Do you think this was a ploy for Mid-South just, just to get as many pictures of girls they possibly could do? Or do you think this was a... Uh, like a mailing list plug. So I've heard that about things like when Hogan was injured in the, in WF in 1990, they did that and they said write letters because they wanted a big list of ma- of mailing. But w- were there any catalogues or anything going out to people there, or was it just literally a case of we want 2,000 pictures of girls to go through? Uh, it's it sounds pretty pervy. I mean, <laughs> uh, it you I, you can't uh, I just can't imagine um, I can't imagine that it it's uh, it's it's you know that Ricky and Robert needed any help getting girls. <laughs> no, you know? I'm sure I'm sure they absolutely did not, did they? But um, yeah, yeah. I, so I don't think this was a mainly. I, I think this was a bit. I'm sure there probably was some merchandise, but I think this was probably a bit early for big amounts of merchandise. I think. What, what do you think on that? Oh, the way early for merchandise. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. you know, they they talked about having some things, but I. I don't remember. T-shirts were very rare. Only a only a select few uh, people had T-shirts in in eighty five. I mean, uh, eighty four. Uh, very very few and far between. I mean, even like like even concert T-shirts weren't super common. You know, as far as that kind of thing. No, and I th- I think I remember. I could be completely wrong about this, but I think I think I'm right. I think if you look at, look back at the old um, footage of Hogan winning the title from the Iron Sheik at Madison Square Garden in January '84, I don't believe there's any. I mean, I know he wasn't in WF all that long at that point, but I don't believe there's any official Hogan merchandise. I think there's like ha- homemade stuff, and there might be a homemade foam hand and things like that. But then fast forward to. Mar- end of March the following year and I think you do start to see Hogan shirts and even more so in the years thereafter yeah. so I think I think that is the time probably 85, 86, 87 when it became more of a, more of a thing um, I should have mentioned that Boyd is wearing a rather incredible powder blue suit here solid 6 out of 10 on the Boyd Pierce fashionometer um, and Watts has made a good amount of effort too and he's wearing a canary yellow jacket and a skinny tie um, that wouldn't look out of place in Shoreditch I'm sorry Ziz, that's a very London reference here. Shoreditch is like a trendy place where 
Um, lots of people that are far cooler than me hang out, um, and you can't find a clean toilet in any bar in Shoreditch as well, which is which is an <laughs> odd odd thing as well. I don't know why that is, but yeah, some of my least favourite nights out in London in my life have been held in that place. So uh, anyway, we we digress and we move on. Um, so we have big big news coming next. We have a new North American heavyweight champion, Magnum TA, on Mother's Day in Tulsa, Tulsa Oklahoma. Um, and then we cut to a clip from the closing sequence of that match. Um, so this title change actually took place on May the 13th, which was Mother's Day. I, did look, I am sad enough to look that up. What was Mother's Day 1984? Um, and actually, uh, this title change happened before the previous week's TV aired, which is a little bizarre in that they weren't able to tell us about it last week. Obviously, didn't tell it up with the taping schedule. But I thought that was interesting. They told the truth about this. What do you think about that in terms of um, they, were, they, they didn't need to say when this was, but they, they did. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, kudos to them. It, you know, it, it just didn't, you know, I don't think it, it really mattered much in the scheme of things. Yeah, it, it did. I just, I just, just thought it was interesting that obviously, I don't know, if, as if, I suppose some, maybe some people wouldn't be too sort of detail oriented, but for me, I would have been thinking, well, why didn't they tell me about that last week? But I wonder if in these things, I remember back back in the early 90s watching WWF television, there, there were a lot of, especially when someone disappeared and you didn't know where they'd gone, there were always a lot of unanswered questions. I think Bill Watts is pretty good about answering the questions for the, the vast majority of times when it comes to this sort of thing. And maybe this is one of those, just one of those ones that just doesn't matter, it's unanswered, you know, who cares, move on. Um, so we cut to a steady cam, some steady cam footage at ringside for this match, um, which was shown as on screen as being at the Tulsa State Fairgrounds. Um, so Bill Watts is on commentary, and he, he says that holidays and special moments are usually celebrated via long-distance phone calls um, as your job as a wrestler is on the road. Um, we have a couple of good exchanges here, and it shows Magnum fighting out of a front face, front face lock. There's a ref bump uh, here as a body block by Magnum ends up with Mr. Wrestling going straight into Carl Fergie. Um, on the outside, Mr. Wrestling runs Magnum's head into the ring post, uh, which Watts said should have been a DQ and would have been if the ref saw it. Um, and... Basically, then Mr. Wrestling asks a sort of a covering ref to count Magnum out. But Magnum makes it, to, makes it to his feet and his head has been busted wide open. Mr. Wrestling aims a vicious looking kick through the ropes as Magnum tries to make it back in. Eventually he does and is slammed in the top turnbuckle and Mr. Wrestling stomps down on his cut face. Magnum then tries to shake it off but is hit with a couple of punches before a big knee lift for Mr. Wrestling. Watts' commentary is a tiny bit grating here as he's already given the result away, uh, but he's speculating on the result of the match. So I, I guess we are to believe that he commentated on this at the time, but he's, he's told us kind of thing, I suppose. Is that, is that how you got the sort of impression from this? Um, you know, pretty, pretty much. I mean, it, you know, it was, it was, you know, a good, a good match, you know, I think overall. So, yeah. Yeah, no, actually, actually, it doesn't really. I, I suppose that is probably reasonably fair. If you cut to another show, the commentary would be as it aired, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be necessarily a, a voiceover. But I remember there was a famous one. Um, I don't know if you remember back or back at the 1992 Royal Rumble when Ric Flair. Well, I'm sure you do remember that being, being where, you, yeah. where you're from. So I remember on Primetime Wrestling, they had a thing, and I'm sure you can find this online. If, if you sort of Google Gorilla Monsoon edited 1992 Royal Rumble primetime wrestling. They, they, they changed the sound on it because uh, I think that uh, when Hogan went out, there was quite a lot of cheers um, and they completely changed the sound on it and just like re-edit it, the, make the whole thing really dastardly, even though um, uh, make, make sort of Hogan a sympathetic character, even though he helped pull out Sid, Sid Justice and Ric Flair got the win. So that, that's an interesting one where they sort of change, change things back as they look, look back on it. Um, 
basically in the end here, um, they have another re- uh, another ref bump um, when Magnum tries to uh, to hip toss Mr. Wrestling Two out of an abdominal stretch, um, and Mr. Wrestling's feet clash with Carl Fergie. Um, so there's certainly obviously second ref bump in here. Magnum has Mr. Wrestling down for the count, and out comes Mr. Wrestling Two for the save. Magnum gets him with punch on the outside. Mr. Wrestling is in the ring, loading up that knee the same way he won the match at the Superdome. So he goes to the knee lift with a loaded knee, but Magnum moves and Mr. Wrestling 2 gets it. Magnum then rolls up Mr. Wrestling for the three count and the lights come on and the crowd is going absolutely nuts here for the pinfall. Carl Fergie gives him the belt on the outside and he holds it up to the cheers of the crowd and he heads out straight into that crowd. Um, they showed quite a lot of this house show match which I thought was great. Um, obviously, this is, this is of key importance as the main title in the promotion. What did you think of this segment overall here? Well, like you said, I mean, you know, the Mid-South title, I mean, that's that was the big thing. Um, you know, it was... It was, it was, you know, the top title, and it was a big deal overall in the entire world of wrestling. Mm. Uh, you know, saying you were a North American champion, uh, you know, meant meant as much as saying you were national heavyweight champion or the U.S. heavyweight champion uh, or the American, you know, heavyweight champion. Uh, you know, so um, you know, quite a quite a lot of prestige behind it. You know, a lot of heat, a lot of, you know, a lot of nervous moments for the crowd, you know, and, you know, finally getting to see, uh, you know, Magnum get the win. Yeah, absolutely. Magnum, um, he had had won the title previously, but this is obviously the time now where they're going to go with him for a period of time rather than uh, the, the, the situation we had with him in the autumn where there was some quick title changes. So, um Back at the desk after the break, Boyd says that Magnum has captivated the hearts of all the fans in the Mid-South area. Um, and then when we come back, we're getting Hacksaw Butch Reed surprising the Junkyard Dog, apparently. Um, so, basically, from here, we're at ringside, we have Jim Watts, and um, he introduces someone who's called Sonny King, who Watts says has, is an internationally known wrestling star. He's wrestling in Japan. Europe, Puerto Rico, Atlanta, and the Carolinas. He's here because somewhat, something in Mid-South has concerned him. And last Saturday on Memphis Television, he was getting ready for his main event on uh, the Monday with Ken Patera. This is JYD was getting ready for his main event with Ken Patera. And what says that an incident happened that shocked the world. Butch returned up and KO'd JYD and ended up tarring and feathering him. Um, oh, yeah, that was yeah. just... I mean, you talk about, you know, doing that to one of the most popular guys. I mean... You know, JYD was super over, and, um, you know, I just, I, I'm, you know, that was just, that, that was, you know, the way that, uh, the way that, that, that sucker punch from Butch Reed came was really believable. I mean, it looked like he just decked him, like yeah. he just laid him out. And, uh, and so I, I think that, you know, I think that was done really well. I'm uh, pretty sure that Tara was a jar of molasses, thank God. But because um, I mean, they poured it all over his face too. Oh yeah, they did. I mean, this, this was this was another heavy, juicy angle with um, with Joe Adele. It was interesting that he he was in you know he was in Memphis and they're showing a clip from Memphis. Obviously, tape exchanging again here. Um, so yeah, they they show they show retiring JYD as he says they're going to make him a big old chicken, and the feathers come out as the interview is protesting. Uh, do you know who the interviewer was? I, I, I couldn't remember who this guy. The guy was in in Memphis. I couldn't. I didn't recognise this, this guy. But um, Reed says that he's basically the best black athlete. 
world. And JYD struggles with his feet before Lando and Reed make their way out. Um, and JYD says to the, to the announcer, just don't worry about anything, man. And he coughs out the feathers. Um, and he says it's all going to be taken care of with Reed. And he cuts a great promo here and says that Reed is going to be the bone that he ends up, he ends up chewing on. Um, to back to Mid-South, Watt says he agrees uh, with what Sonny has said. Um, and, and Sonny basically says, who, who gives Reed the right to, to act like this? Um, and there's enough, enough room in progressing for everyone. And um, Watt says it reminds him of Cassius Clay and Joe Frazier in boxing. And Sonny adds that one-on-one it would be fine, but not all of the antics that Butch Reed employs. Um, as Sonny is talking here uh, about where he grew up, the, the crowd starts reacting in the background, and out comes Reed. Sonny asks him to be nice. Reed says he doesn't care about Louisiana and squares up to Sonny as Watts throws it to a break. Um, so what did you think? This is quite a long segment overall, but again, heavy-duty angle with a junkyard dog and introducing a new character here in, in, in Sonny. So I, I don't know much too, too much about this guy. Are you familiar I with had, Once again, this is another guy I'd never seen before in my life. Oh, okay, interesting. I don't remember yeah. this guy at all. And uh, he might have been, you know, around the world in other places, but I don't, I don't remember him in the Carolinas. I don't remember him in Georgia. <laughs> Um, and I remember quite a lot. Um, and, uh, hey, props to, uh, Butch Reed for that actual muscle t-shirt. It had like, had actual muscle. That, that was, that was a, for 1984, that was a brilliant t-shirt. Um, but yeah, he was, you know, Butch Reed was on the top of his heel game there. And, you know, just, you know, that guy, that guy's, he came off as a good, honorable baby face that was going to stick up for what was right. And, you you know, that was the kind of guy that crowds got behind. So, uh, you know, pretty, you know, pretty, you know, thrilled to see that. So, you know, I'll I'll be interested to see how this moves forward because I'm not familiar with how this uh, feud kind of played out. No, absolutely. Just looking back at Sonny King, so he he he, de- he debuted in 1968, believe it or not, um, for um, big oh. time wrestling in Dayton, Ohio. So he looking at his um, and he wasn't all that old. I think he was probably in his his early 20s at that stage. Um, so looking at his sort of sort of 80s one around the time that, that we're we're watching here. So he was predominantly in Memphis before um, before this angle aired, okay. um, which is which is obviously where that where the exchange happened. So he was in Memphis. Um, he was in uh, he did a little bit in Georgia Championship Wrestling in '83, but not all that much. Um, he actually lost on WWF Championship Wrestling to Jesse Ventura in 1981 as well. So that's one other sort of interesting career career moment there. But yeah, he, so he was in Mid South um, from around this time, with the occasional appearance in Houston Wrestling, obviously pretty much co-promoted there. Um, he was in Mid South. Uh, or, or UWF, all the way up to July 86, sporad- somewhat sporadically. Um, then he had a match in what was Jim Crockett Promotions in 88, and his last match against Rocky Johnson um, in ICWA in Florida in 1991. So, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lots, lots of gaps here in terms of times that he wasn't he wasn't around. He was very active in 84. It looked like he had one, only one match in 85, so I don't know if he, if he was injured or, or something happened. But, yeah... Um, uh, someone that I, I certainly wasn't wasn't familiar with either here in in Sonny King. Um, so going back to um, the episode now. So after after this segment, um, I wanted to have a look at what a month was like for JYD during this time. It was it was, it was clear that he wasn't exclusive in Mid South. They do talk about him sort of going from promotion to promotion um, and sort of what 
you know what what was the usual norm for him around that time um so during the month of may 1984 um Chucky Hot Dog appeared in 18 matches so two in mid atlantic four times in georgia championship wrestling with one television four times in Mid-South with one cross-promoter with Houston Wrestling, as we, as we talked about, um, four times in World Class, and that included beating the missing link at the Texas Stadium show, the David Von Erich Memorial show, um, twice in Memphis, um, and also twice in champ- from Championship Wrestling in Florida, um, including one TV. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a nut schedule uh, in May, and he continued a similar sort of schedule until becoming exclusive with the WF in August 84. Um, albeit, oh, that's a little way to come. Um, do you remember seeing JYD in different, different promotions at the time? And what did you think of that? Was that something of the norm? I, yeah, this is our home promotion guy, but he's, he's just traveling around at the moment. Well, guys traveling around was not, was not unusual at all, really. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really until the, you know, becoming a norm to stick with one place more often, um, you know, really, because I think, I think, uh, you know, Vince was the one that started, you know, enforcing, uh, you know, I- exclusive deals. And so, you know, then, then, you know, Crockett. And so, you know, otherwise, you know, you, you might see guys, you know, here and there, Quite a bit. I mean, you know, we saw, you know, rock and roll. We saw the the Midnight Express. We saw them in, you know, they were in in Memphis and Mid South, and in Texas, you know, and back in Mid South, I think again, you know, before going to Jim Crockett. Mm. So, guy, guys traveling around was not unusual, and it, there were several times where, you know, they would just, uh, you know, they would just say, you know, it's like, well. You know, so and so's on an international tour, or or whatever. You know, I mean, I guess, I guess these guys like the Junkyard Doc. If, if he was in this much demand, I, I suppose to a certain extent, these guys had um, a bit of, a, of an opportunity to, to kind of do what they wanted. I mean, if they wanted to work a lot, they could work a lot. And obviously, he he was. I mean, if he's on these TVs, he's presumably in, in feuds with people in different promotions and and going to their big house shows and doing the, doing those loops and stuff. So. Yeah, I suppose I suppose this was this was probably something that a big star could do at the time, and, and it was their choice. But I guess he was probably working a similar sort of schedule when he eventually got to the WF. Because I know their their schedule was pretty brutal around this sort of time. Um, so next up, we have the tag team title showdown: Jim Cornette's Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express, with fifty thousand dollars of Jim Cornette's mother's money on the line. And um, there'll be Ricky Morton to Robert Gibson should they be successful. Jim Ross is in the ring, and he explains that this is match is one full with TV time remaining, and it's for the Mid-South Tag Team Championships. Cornette takes the microphone and says this is the highest purse in the history of wrestling, and introduces the once, and will be again, Tag Team Champions, the Midnight Express, and they still don't have any matching robes. I need to sort this out. Um, the crowd is already buzzing, in the, and in the background, uh, sorry, the, the crowd is buzzing in the background. And I thought this looked, I don't know if you noticed this, I thought this looked as packed as I've ever seen this, this, this arena in Shreveport. I, I, they, they really packed in for this. Did you notice how far this, 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 uh, crowd behind the, behind the hard camera went back here? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, when, when the Rock and Roll Express were in town, you know, especially with a high profile match that they were probably putting on the posters, you know, $50,000, you know, on the line, Mid-South Tag Team titles, Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, that's pretty much all you had to say uh to, to sell it to sell out and sell big. Yeah, absolutely. Um so yeah, Ross reiterates this match is no DQ. 
and the rock and roll's music hits to the usual great hysteria from the crowd. Um, here are our tag team champs this week uh, with red, red sparkling tights and silver vests. And then on the outside, they accept two new robes from some older ladies at ringside to replace the ones that were torn up last week. And I'm afraid to say this different shade of red did clash horribly with their tights, as nice as these this gesture from these two ladies was. Um, Boyd says how big this is. It's $50,000 on the line. And um, before we get into the match, I just thought the, the build to this was, was great. And this feels big. This feels like one of, them, one of those moments as a fan where I've had this a few times watching Mid-South. But actually, I'm, you know, I'm fully invested in what happened here in this match 36 years ago. I don't know what the result is, but I'm, I'm in. What, what did you get? Sort of same, I guess you've probably seen this before, but did you get the sort of same feeling? This, this felt pretty big watching this. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, of course... Of course, uh, you know, everyone, everyone knows that, you know, Jim Cornette's going to do everything to protect his mother's money. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and that, that, you know, it's a, a, not a great trade off, you know, for, for the rock and roll. I mean, it, even as the champions there, you know, you got to be sitting there thinking, it's like, this is not, this is still not a great deal for you guys. It, it should have been, you know, it could, it could have been even higher stakes, but, you know, it, it, it was not. It was not the time to to raise them any further than this. I think right now, yeah. but uh, definitely, um, you know, there was some stuff that they did in there. I, I don't think I ever saw them do again. There was like, uh, like Robert Gibson reversed Bobby with something and then jumped his back and 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 sunk in a sleeper and and Bobby, you know, just. You know, he picks his feet up and flails around, kicks the damn referee across the ring, and I, I was yeah. just like, I was like, holy shit, that's a great spot. I'm like, how do you not? I'm like, I mean, I don't think I ever saw him use that again like that. No, and that, that ref pump was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, and it was just, it was just boom, 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 like it was nothing. And it, you know, it's like that was not over rehearsed, that was not overdone, that had not been done a million times. That was done that time. And it worked great, and you know that was just that was just magic. Um, uh, you know, uh, oh, uh, here's another interesting thing too. Uh, so, like I said, NWA showed the the 2019 Crockett Cup. The mm. the Rock and Roll Express were in the tournament. They lost to the Briscoes in the first round, but they were still in the tournament, and uh, and they also honored. Uh, Dennis, Bobby, and, uh, and Stan Lane at ringside, uh, and allowed them to have a little, a little say, uh, and so it was, it was pretty cool that, uh, you know, 30, you know, 35 years after this, this great match, you know, with their, their, uh, they're still around and, you know, of course, Rock Horror Express won, uh, won their ninth NWA World Tag Team titles last year. So Yeah, I saw, I saw that, actually. I, I, I haven't seen the match, but I, I saw that they, they did it, which, which is which is fantastic. I think that's great. I mean, the little the little bit I saw in, in AEW, they clearly were still in you know, really good shape. And, good, and, and one of them hit an incredible Canadian destroyer. I think it was... I think it was Ricky. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was more yeah. and it, it just looked so good. Um, so basically, we have, we have King Carl Fergie on the outside here, and he's taking Cornette's tennis racket away as the bell goes. Uh, I'm not going to go through this move by move, but this was, you know, this was 
as you'd expect. Uh, yeah, no team watch was, this. Yeah, yeah, you need to watch this. This, this <laughs> match needs to be go, go go back and, and watch. Neither team are on top for particularly long. You've got all the moves you'd expect. It's a beautiful drop kick uh, by Gibson on Eaton in this one. Um, they hurl uh, Eaton over the top rope, um, and he takes a huge spill on the outside. And what says that normally that would be a DQ, but as it's a no DQ match, the ref can't do anything, which I thought was a great right. great spot. Um, I think. One of the one of the guys gets his back the other way um, as well, um, and going into the closing, basically the closing sequences of this of this one. Um, so basically, Morton makes it out, and Gibson is great on his comeback. So Morton had been beaten down, and he tags out. Gibson comes in, starts to come back until Cornet pulls the top rope over, and Gibson takes a huge spill to the outside. He's up quickly though, and Eaton's head is held into the ring post. Back in the ring, Condry goes to the top to try and splash Gibson. Uh, but Morton dives on top of him to save him. Um, Gibson flips Conjure over the top rope. He, I mean, even reading this, you can see how much is going on. It was just incredible to try and take notes on this because it was so fast-paced. Um, Eaton gets in there and Gibson traps him with a sleeper. Um, and then this is a bit we talked about. So Eaton kicks his feet out and the ref goes absolutely flying into the corner and through the middle rope. Which is just a really incredible bump for, for a referee. Yeah. Well, for anyone, but for, let alone for a referee. Um, and he, go, he goes on the outside. So then Cornette gets onto the apron with a sort of a towel or rag. I mean, he sprays something and he gets into the ring and holds it against Robert Gibson's face. What says there's a medical smell in the air, the sort of thing you'd get in a hospital? Um, Cornette then heads out and, and Eaton crawls back over. Um, and what says that Gibson is unconscious? So Eaton covers him and gets the win in 9.39. And we have new Mid-South Tag Team Champions. What says that there's a, that he's coughing and gagging over the medical smell? Um and interestingly, they're not putting over initially this as being too dastardly on commentary, which is somewhat surprising. Watts even says, well, this, it was a no DQ match. Um, so what did you think of this this one and how they actually got to the tag team title change here? Um, well, it was it was pretty low as far as, uh, uh, you know, as an honorable win. Uh, it was mm. pretty, pretty damn low, even in a uh, no DQ match. Uh, but it's definitely something that, you know, increases the heat. And makes you hate Cornet more. Uh, it did whatever whatever it was that he used definitely smelled bad because there were fans that were like fanning their noses. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what it was. You could, you could see him. You know, I mean, it could have been. I mean, it could have been. You know, can fart for all I know. But I mean, it, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was definitely whatever it was. It stunk enough to make the people at ringside. Uh, you know you know, waft the, the air away. So, um, you know, of course, great heat, you know, makes the Midnight Express look like they don't deserve the belts and, you know, just just beautifully done and, you know, continues the feud. Exactly. Exactly. This is, this is uh, obviously, this is not a everything – lives and dies on television. This is a, this is a promotion to get people to arena shows. And actually, in terms of continuing this feud, um, this is this is great, I thought. Uh, after the break, Watts says he asked some fans, um, and it was a familiar smell, and that one gentleman actually worked with it. I didn't elaborate on exactly what it was. Um, at ringside, Jim Ross says, we've just witnessed one of the most unbelievable things that ever happened in professional wrestling, let alone a Mid-South ring. Um, Ross says it's quite obvious that the way his men won 
the way that Cornette's men won the tag team titles was quite deceitful, illegal, and a little bit sickening. Well, it wasn't illegal, Jim Ross, because it was no DQ. Um, Cornette says it's obviously not obvious and that he, that Ross is mistaken. He shows the check and says it's a shame they haven't won the money because he's sure they could have bought some decent clothes and he rips it up. <laughs> so I thought it was great from Cornette. Um, he adds, as you can see, beautiful Bobby was severely lacerated when he was thrown into the post. And as a good manager, he always carries a first aid kit. And all he did was simply jump up on the ropes. He got a cloth and some disinfectant and came to the ring to wipe the blood from Bobby's head. If it had been more <laughs> severe, he might have considered stopping the match. But he knows that Eaton's very tough. And ultimately, he was the one that got the pinfall. And then Cornette says, rock and roll is here to stay. Not very likely. Um, Ross says, everyone saw it happen. I thought Cornette was fantastic. The, the, the bit around the first aid kit was so good. What did you oh, think of Cornette yeah. here? Oh yeah, he was, he was really brilliant for, you know, back then. I mean, he was real weaselly. He was whiny and, and he, you know, he had that, um, you know, he had that kind of, you know, young bratty fucking anger, you know, that he, he conveyed, you know, you know, always it's like, you know, it's like, you know, you don't like me. I don't like you either. You know, that kind of, you know, yeah, so. yeah, he was just he was so 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 good, really, just 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 fantastic. Um, so after the break, we're back with a standby match between Nature Boy Buddy Landell and the returning Mark Ragin, who is out. I'm sure the start of this was Thriller, then it cuts to Billy Jean. Did you catch this at all? Because I, I, I I'm not I know they don't sound. I mean, a lot of Michael Jackson songs sound kind of similar, but I don't know if you caught this. I thought it was Thriller, and then cuts into Billy Jean. I definitely heard the Billie Jean part, but yeah, I, I, didn't, yeah. I, didn't, I don't remember hearing Thriller. No, I, I may be mistaken there. And I must be honest, I, 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 I cared so much, I didn't actually go and rewind it to, to play it again. So <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, the music continues playing off the bell again. Uh, but Landell attacks him immediately to end this. Obviously not a Michael Jackson fan. Uh, Ragin hits a couple of decent looking drop kicks for Landell. Hurls, hurls him over the top rope for DQ in 44 seconds. Um, Landell is stomping him on the floor. And then Sonny King comes out to make the save. And I didn't mention earlier on that he had a, he's got a lovely Hawaiian shirt on and white jeans combo, uh, which looks great. And some smart shoes as well it's a good look um, King gets Landell in the ring and is on top briefly before Reed comes out um, Landell holds King for Reed to attack him but Sonny breaks free and Landell takes a shot but there's some, some rough looking offence from King here um, what do you do? not much not so much to make of this what do you, what do you, any thoughts on this short match and angle really here well you know once again you got you got a couple of young guys developing uh, and, and you know they definitely have the crowd's attention so you know Kind of, it's kind of a letdown match after, after the tag team titles, which probably should have, you know, closed the show. Um, yeah, they don't often do that with the. I don't know what that is. They don't often do. They don't often seem to do that with their biggest match. They they seem to have that earlier in the earlier in the show for some reason. I, it's you know once again the the mystery of you know and and of course I think. Uh, you know, I think he was also trying to do different things with TV and, you know, maybe, maybe his idea was, well, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to keep baiting people into seeing something at the end. Cause there was a lot of, uh, in Jim Crockett promotions, mid Atlantic and worldwide would go off the air with, with a, a main event match underway for about five minutes or less. And you felt gypped, 
Yeah, I didn't like that one. I, I, I remember seeing that on WWE Worldwide a few times here. And they did it on, yeah. on Wrestling Challenge once or twice, but not very often. Um, yeah, I agree. I don't like that as a, as a device, really. Yeah, that's, you know, that's like, I mean, we're, look, we're wrestling fans. We're watching the damn show. But, you know, if you're going to have a, if you're going to have a big main event match, you know, you know, don't, don't have, uh, you know, Ron Bass versus Gene Ligon and, and and Black Bart versus you know Dusty Wolf have had a tag team match take the same amount of time and then let us have the whole main event match. Yeah, comp- I completely agree. Um, you know? After yeah, after the break, we're at the desk with Boyd and Watts, um, and Watts says he thinks he's broken his headset and it's been a frustrating day, which I, <laughs> I found this really funny. He's sitting there holding the little mouthpiece of his of his mic, um, and he's been backstage talking to the Rock and Roll Express, and Ricky Morton said he's not going to let Mid South down. They're going to be on the Superdome show. They don't know where they're going to be on the card, but they're going to do the Super Day, and they're not going to let anyone down. So of course, what else could we possibly want in our lives more than another video about the Super Day at the Superdome. So we get this video again, and afterwards, Watts reminds everyone the video. Uh, sorry, Watts reminds everyone after the video cuts off that uh, the cutoff point for entry is the sixth of June, with winners being <laughs> let know very shortly thereafter. Um, yeah, just crazy. They they spent so much time promoting this, really. Um, Jim Ross <laughs> is at ringside, and they booked a great title match next week: Magnum TA versus Mr. Wrestling Two, the Battle of the Proteges. And um, so Ross is at ringside with Mr. Wrestling 2, and we get some foreshadowing about direction they're going here. Um, so basically, he says that when Magnum was made number one contender to the North American title, it caused some friction with Mr. Wrestling, and he, he speculates whether that's going to happen. Um, Mr. Wrestling 2 then says that wrestling, Mr. Wrestling doesn't have anything to say about it, uh, about the situation with him being the contender to the title now. He lost to his former protege, Terry Allen. Uh, Ross says Mr. Wrestling is quite a competitor and a fine athlete and is sure he will want a future matchup. Mr. Wrestling 2 then says that Mr. Wrestling has nothing to say about it. This is a young man's sport. They are young lions and you can just look at him and see how tough he is and he's going to beat Magnum down next week. Um, clearly foreshadowing a problem between Mr. Wrestling and Mr. Wrestling 2 and maybe a babyface turn for Mr. Wrestling here. Uh, what do you think about this uh, this short little interview segment with Mr. Wrestling 2? Once again, he's got that honest believability, even though you don't like him, you know. But that, you know, once again, he was that he was that hero that you're 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 maybe hoping, you know, you know the you know his integrity will return. So yeah, so it, it you know, in 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 an age where we didn't know terms like, you know, you know face turn and things like that, it's uh, it's that's definitely a, a hope. You know, yeah. that, that, you know, people would, would get to see, um, you know, see him come back around. So we get a bit of an odd thing before we end the episode this week. So what says that a lot of people know what sunshine Jim Garvin's former valet has suffered at the hands of Precious, his new valet. Now, I've not seen any of these people on Mid-South. So if, they, if they've been on, it's pre-me watching in October 83. Um, Sunshine has become a large supporter of Chris Adams and we're told that two weeks ago a situation happened that Sunshine had a nervous breakdown and has been institutionalised there have been some drastic repercussions as a result of this as according to Watts apparently she has an aunt a very rugged lady who is a truck driver by trade and they're going to show us next week what happened in Fort Worth so this is an angle in world class I presume but I I know all these people but yeah Um, 
it felt a bit out of place. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm interested. I'm interested in seeing what they're going to do here. And I presume that these guys are going to be in, um, are going to be in mid south for a bit. But yeah, it just felt a little bit odd. And uh, they reiterate the forthcoming North American title match, and that's it. So a hugely newsworthy show here um, with the top six singles title being announced as having changed hands. A lengthy showing of a of a house show match, um, which I think I think was really well done and probably the, the better. Um, the, be- the best use of this that they've done so far in, in showing old matches in terms of production and been able to see it and actually see most of the match and obviously you've got the Midnight Express winning back the tag team titles their tainted victory over the Rock and Roll Express um, so what did you think of this very newsworthy um, episode of Mid-South Wrestling here um, so episode 246 on YouTube excellent excellent match uh, I really I really enjoyed it uh, you know you got kind of a payoff um you know, with the, with the, you know, the big title match, you got to see the titles change hands. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the crazy, you know, the tarring and feathering of the ultra popular, um, uh, you know, junkyard dog. It was, it was definitely a very, a whole lot they, they put into one hour. Yeah, this this was this was a really oh yeah I'd forgotten that actually of course that was in the same, the same episode as well I mean that just goes to show how much was going on in these shows that yeah. you, get a, you get a huge angle like that with your with, with what is really still your top babyface isn't it even though Magnum's a champion um, this this is a bit like a scene that, that should have been at the halfway mark they should have had that in the middle of the show not in the like first quarter of the show that that. That angle should have been in the middle, and then the tag team title match should have ended the show. Yeah, that would have that would have made a lot more sense from a from a kind of a natural flow of a, of a wrestling yeah. show to have, have it like that, wouldn't it? Really, I think. Uh, but yeah, yeah. certainly, it, it does feel like JYD is still the number one babyface. But obviously, I think Magnum is sort of leaping a little bit ahead of, of Terry Taylor here. You know, after Terry's good run in the um, in the TV title tournament, but certainly, I think you know Magnum is. Is ahead here. Um, so yeah, that that's it for for this this episode of, of Mid South Wrestling. So um, Zeus, remind us all where we can we can find you again if your your shows. Um, also tell that tell everyone about your artwork as well. Oh yeah, uh, so um, uh, Zeus King Dark. Uh, you can just search that on Instagram. Uh, uh, Zeus King Dark on Twitter, um, and check out. I've got uh, I I draw in different styles. I do. Uh, like pointillism portraits. Uh, I actually got a new thing coming along. Um, so stay tuned for uh, a new idea. And then um, uh, uh, you can check us out on the podcast, Mark Out Mania, uh, Saturday mornings um, on the Texan Spaniard YouTube channel. Uh, we are uh, heading toward uh, episode 92 this weekend. So uh, you can... Uh, listen to all 91 of the other episodes on YouTube. Uh, just search them out. We talk about everything from wrestling to Godzilla movies to ninja stuff and, uh, all kinds of fun stuff. So, uh, you know, give us, give us a listen to. And, uh, once again, Stephen, thank you so much for having me on. Not one, but two more episodes. Uh, it's definitely an honor. Um, and, and once again, I always love telling people that there's this guy who's, you know, wasn't even, you know, wasn't even around when this stuff aired in the first place. But, you know, here we have this, this nice Londoner who's, <laughs> uh, who's keeping, who's keeping Mid-South wrestling, uh, fresh and alive. 
for people of today, and uh, I think it's a great thing what you're doing uh, with your show. Oh, well, dude, I appreciate that so much. It's, it's so nice. I, I actually tweeted out t- uh, today, we're, 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 not to, put, not to um, take people too far behind the curtain, but we're taping this one um, a cup, cup, well, what are we, nearly, nearly two weeks before this is released. Um, but yeah, I tweeted out today just about Mid-South. What, what, no, there's no better time to get, try and get involved in this promotion. I even said that you know, most of these episodes are available on YouTube, so you don't have to even put any money into the pockets of Vincent Mann. So um, yeah. what better time to get in, get in on get on this because it's it's, it's and you get the original music exactly get the original music and i saw someone on twitter uh tweet over the weekend that he's binge watching this like he would watch a series on um like netflix or amazon prime or something because it's so it's so episodic you do want to see what the the next thing that happens and actually this is so easy to watch i mean it's Taking notes obviously always a bit different when you're watching wrestling. I'm sure you have a lot of experience as well. But actually, just to be able to sit back and kick back and watch some of these matches and these moments is just a great promotion. But Zeus, thank you so much again. We'll definitely do this this again before too long, and I really appreciate your time. Uh, and apologies for the uh, mid south slash horseman time zone mix up before we start recording <laughs> again. <laughs> it's all thanks. good, buddy. Thanks so much, Zeus. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments, and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.